For those of you, um, whether you're watching online or whether you're watching in the room, um, I apologize that you're having to look at the grape juice. So this is like the first Sunday back to some normal grape juice, and I cannot help but spill on myself. So if you've ever seen that commercial where you're trying to listen to somebody in a job interview and all you hear is the blah, 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 blah. That's, hopefully my shirt is not doing that all morning. Just ignore it. I can do this and then you won't see it. So anyway, clearly I've lost some skills during this COVID time uh, that uh, maybe you have too, but I've lost some, I'm clumsy, I guess. Um, I really appreciated how we started worship this morning because I, I had in my notes of wanting to and just felt a burden to spend a minute here at the beginning praying for people in our community. And I just wrote down the names of like 10 different families that I know uh, are having significant health challenges. They've had loss. Um, it, and it's a very, it's just a very hard time with sickness and loss. And I'm sure there's more than the 10 on my list that you all know about. And I don't want to, for privacy reasons, I don't want to just name them all off. But if we could, I just wanted to take a minute, and if we could just intercede for our community, intercede for families where we know there's sickness. And I know we did it in our worship time, but I feel like the Lord was just really wanting to emphasize that this morning, um, that he wants to meet our community where they are. He wants to bring healing, he wants to bring life, he wants to bring hope, he wants to bring comfort. Um, he wants to just be with them. So will you pray with me? Let's, let's pray this morning. Lord, we just come to you with the, with the people in our community. And Lord, the, the people that are on our, on our hearts this morning, that we know that are experiencing pain, that are experiencing sickness, that are experiencing loss. God, we ask that you would come right now and be present. Lord, that you would provide the peace and the comfort and the encouragement and the sustainment for each of these families and each of these people. Lord, I pray, God, that you would help us as a community to know how to love well and to gather around those that are in pain. Father, we pray for those that are sick. We speak healing in Jesus' name to their bodies. We pray for recovery. We pray for health. We pray for life to come into the, the bodies of each of these people that are on our hearts. Lord, we pray that you would, your presence would be real and tangible and mighty and powerful in the lives of our community and in the lives of these families. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This morning, I want to uh, talk a bit out of 2 Corinthians 5. And as I've been preparing this message, uh, I was thinking about what, we, what we're going to talk about today. Um, I feel a little bit, you've heard the phrase, um, I'm playing checkers and you're playing chess. It's a, it's a good analogy for uh, people that are not even on the same wavelength. And I feel that way a little bit this morning. I feel like I'm playing checkers and the Lord's playing and God's playing chess. And he's looking at me and is like, man, you're, you're a moron. <laughs> and, and, and so that's, that's how I'm approaching this topic today is I feel like the Lord has some, 
some really important things that he wants to do. And yet I feel like I'm, I myself am trying to catch up. I myself am trying to say, Lord, how does this work itself out in me? How does this work itself out in us? So I pray as we talk through this and as the Lord hopefully ministers to us this morning, I pray that we'll capture something because he wants us to come up higher. He does. He wants to teach us chess. He's, he is, um, he's patient with us. He's patient with me. He's patient with you. He's kind with us. And yet he doesn't, he wants to equip us as well. And he wants us to say, you're not playing the right game. You're not looking at it the right way. I want you to come up higher. I want to give you a new perspective. I was thinking as well about perspective. We've, if you've, if you've uh, watched any of the Olympics, you're following any of the Olympics, um, it's been a challenging time to see for some of our Olympians and, and the different people participating in the Olympics, you know, being able to participate in their sports and being challenged physically and being challenged mentally. And uh, even in the gymnastics, I've heard the, the term, the twisties. You don't know what's up from down. And um, I feel that way a little bit at times right now for myself. I don't know about you in society and in life and what's going on and dramatic change. You feel this disorientation. I feel like one of the things that I'm hoping that the Lord does in me is he grounds me and orients me in new ways for new times, not taking me back, taking me forward. How does he orient us and ground us in these times? So I want to speak today out of 2 Corinthians 5 and hopefully unpack a little bit of maybe a, uh, a passage that you've heard before, but maybe we can hear it in new ways today and ask the Lord to minister to us. So Father, I pray today that you would speak to us, that you would minister to us as we read your words, as we meditate on who you are. Holy Spirit, would you come and would you equip us today? Would you equip us? Would you empower us? Would you minister to us today in Jesus' name? Amen. So we'll start in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 15. Paul's writing this to the Corinthian church, and he says this, and he's talking about Jesus, and he says, He died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. I love this passage. There's so much in here. The word reconciliation is used like five different times. And it talks about the work of God, the work that only God can do. And he talks about this ministry of reconciliation, this message of reconciliation, and ministers of reconciliation. This idea that reconciliation takes on so many different faces. I hope today that we're going to 
explore and expand on this understanding of reconciliation. Oftentimes I've read this passage, maybe you have as well, as this is like a one-time event, like an event that happens once. We, we say, Jesus, we accept you. Will you forgive my sins? We accept what you've done. Will you make us righteous? And it's true. It is. It's like a one-time event. But it's like saying that a wedding, a marriage is a one-time event, and that's called the wedding. It's like you make all these vows in a wedding. And yes, at that point, you're, there's, there's marriage, right? But that doesn't make a marriage. A wedding doesn't make a marriage. These things get worked out. And this reconciliation is something that gets worked out in us. So I, I, I liked this quote from a guy named Brian Zahn. He's a, he's a pastor in Missouri. He says this. He says, salvation is all about reconciliation. We must be people who are engaged in the business of reconciliation, working to reconcile people to God and to a life made livable. I like that quote a lot. He associates this idea of salvation and reconciliation. This work that only God can do on our behalf. That it says God was reconciling the world to himself through Christ. This is the work that the Lord took on. This work of reconciliation. Not counting people's sins against them. And he's committed this message of reconciliation to us. So let's talk a little bit about this concept of reconciliation and some thoughts and ideas I have around it. Because I think part of this picture and part of this orientation that I'm hoping is that reconciliation would become a worldview, it would become a perspective, it would become a place from which we engage with the world. Do I, in my life, do I view as I walk around and as I live day to day, as I interact, as I do different things, do I view that God's primary goal is reconciling each and every person I encounter, each and every environment that I'm in, each and every thing? Is he busy wanting to reconcile those things to him? Is that my first view? Is that my first thought? Is God what are you busy doing? What are you busy wanting to reconcile? So the English word reconciliation comes from the Latin, which means to bring back together. Two different entities coming back together. That's what the, the word means. It's used in finances, right? You can reconcile your books. It's used in uh, making of laws. So there's different uses for this word. And this word's hard because I feel like it's preaching a little bit on the word love. Like this morning, we're going to talk about the definition of love. And it can mean so many different things. I read a, a guy named Mike Langford who wrote a paper on this ministry of reconciliation. And he talks about the Greek word that's used. And this is a little bit of a definition that he provides in the biblical context of what we we're just reading. Um, and I practiced saying this word in the Greek and, and now I can't remember how to say it. So I'm not going to say it, but you guys can see it written right there. Uh, it's a compound of, of allergy, which means change in the prefix 
kata, which can mean a number of things, but here means down to a point or thorough. So you put those words together and it really, you could translate reconciliation here as thorough change, complete change, this idea of transformation. So he suggests when we read this word reconciliation, we could actually read it as transformation, a radical transformation. I liked I like that different. I like that definition, a thorough change, a transformative change. What I liked about it is that it, um, it captures this idea that, that us being reconciled to God, while it is, there's an element of it that is a, a one-time event, if you will, this coming to, it's way more than that. It's this transformation of, it's this reconciling us to God in transforming us in so many different ways. If you remember, Sarah spoke last week about how uh, in her journey in walking with the Lord, she had different times of transformation. She had times of transformation in which her life was changed, uh, where she was set free from a, a spirit of fear. And that happened. And man, I would say God would call that reconciliation. He would call that thorough change. He would call that radical transformation. So what does this reconciliation look like for you and I? What does this change look like? I love that this is from God reconciling us to himself through Christ. This idea of a new creation, the old being gone and the new being here. And I like that vision of the old and the new being something that is, again, not a one-time event, but it is something in our lives where we're constantly over our lives exchanging the old for the new. Seeing a reconciliation, seeing God say, hey, no, I, I want to exchange this fear. I want, I want to get rid of that, and I want to give you something new. Our sins are not counted against us, and we become the righteousness of God. That's the place from which we work. It's the place from which we live. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. In this message, he says that he's committed to us this message of reconciliation. He's committed to us a message of reconciliation. What are the messages that sometimes you think God has committed to you? What is it that you think the Lord has given to you? I want to suggest today that sometimes we overlook our call in what it means to be stewards and ambassadors of this message of reconciliation. That the Lord is busy reconciling the whole world. He wants to reconcile the whole world to himself not exclusive to a specific culture or time or people, not exclusive to me. What he's busy doing in the lives of other people and the people that I'm around, he's desirous of reconciling each one of them. He doesn't want to count sins against their sins against them. He desires that they come into a place of new creation, that they can become the righteousness of God. We've got this ministry of reconciliation, this message of reconciliation. And it says God is making his appeal through us, imploring people, be reconciled to God. What is it that we're imploring people to today? What is, 
What, what are the things that we're orienting ourselves and how we relate to culture and how we relate to society? What is our orientation? I remember my brother, um, my oldest brother, he's a half brother. He, he, he said this phrase to me. He said, you know, the, the, the dad you grew up with is not the dad I grew up with. And we're about 18 years apart, so we didn't necessarily grow up in the same home at the same time, but he was talking about this transformation that happened in my dad's life. My dad met and received Jesus and received this reconciliation that Jesus brought. And man, it, it brought thorough change. It brought transformation to him. And when my brother talks about this, he, he grieves it because he's like, man, I see this transformed dad and I wish he had been my dad when he was your dad. I wish, I wish he had raised me in that way. And the Lord has to work with him and, and do that. But we see this, that this transformation that happens, this reconciliation that happens, it doesn't stop with him. It, it, it integrates and penetrates and changes the way he parented changes the way he fathered, changed the way he was as a husband, changed him. And my brother would reflect on that at times sadly. So this reconciliation, this transformation, I want to suggest is not just about me and Jesus. I don't know about you, but at times that's, that's where we like to focus in my church history, in our church history, we like to focus about reconciliation with God as being very personal and very individual. And then once that's happened, then it's relational from there. But I want to explore today this idea that it goes beyond just my individual and my relational, but it goes to societal as well and things that the Lord wants to do. So Jesus tells this story and it, it kind of made me think a little bit about this reconciliation. He tells a parable. Peter and the disciples there, uh, the story's in Matthew 18. I'm not going to read it, but I'm going to tell it to you. Um, Peter comes to the Lord and says, Lord, how often should I forgive someone? And, he, and someone is really his brother. How often should I forgive my brother who sins against me? Seven times? He's being very generous. He's like, seven times, right? This is a lot. And Jesus is like, how about 70 times seven? How about, how about like a lot, a lot, lot more? And then he, the, Matthew records that then Jesus tells a story. So Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like this. Jesus says this all over the place. In Matthew, Matthew records over 30 different times. He talks about the kingdom of heaven. What is the kingdom of heaven like? And so he talks about a, a dude who owes the king like a million bucks, millions of dollars. He owes the king a lot. And the king is wanting to reconcile his accounts and get paid up and, uh, you know, got to get your accounts receivable cleaned up, get people paid up. And this guy comes before him and says, man, I don't have the money. I don't have the millions of dollars. And it says that the master, uh, the king says, you're, you should be sold along with your wife and children and everything you own to pay the debt. And the guy begs. He falls down on his knees and says, please be patient. I'll pay it. The master was filled with pity and he released him and forgave his debt. 
Man, that is, that's massive. That is massive. This account has been reconciled. His debt has been paid. His life, the life, the life of his family, his wife, his children, everything he owned has been saved. Man, this is like massive reconciliation. And then the guy leaves the king. The same guy leaves the king. And he goes to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars and says, in, in this translation, says, grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. He wanted instant payment. And the, the same thing happens with this servant. He falls down and begs and says, be patient with me. I'll pay, but I can't do it right now. Be patient. And the guy decides, nope, I'm going to have you arrested and put in prison until you can pay your debt in full. So it says, Matthew records in verse 31, when some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. The king called the man in that had been forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? The angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. Jesus says, that's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Man, what a message. What a story. What, what is Jesus saying? When we, I, would, I would suggest that in this story that Jesus is telling, that this, this reconciliation had happened as a one-time event, but had not happened as a transformation had not happened as a thorough change, had not happened in him in a way that it came out of him. Receiving mercy and extending mercy. This work of reconciliation is meant to be thorough and meant to transform us. And as Jesus spoke about, or as Sarah spoke about, don't tell her I called her Jesus. As Sarah spoke about last week, we can have these transformation events that happen immediately, like her being free of fear. And we can have other things that can take years where the Lord is working with us and setting us free, but we're being transformed. This transformation is meant to transform me. It's meant to transform my relationships and it's meant to transform society in which I engage. Imagine this story that Jesus told, the impact that it would have had, had this guy forgiven, had, the, had this guy forgiven the next. Would forgiveness break out? Would forgiveness have broken out across in so many different ways? Mike Lankford, who, who we read this definition of, of um, reconciliation, he, he suggests that three things happen when we have reconciliation. One is that reconciliation does not occur with sameness. It occurs with difference. This idea that I'm not going to change reconciliation, transformation is not going to happen because I spend all my time with the people who tell me what I want to hear. You need difference. The second thing he suggests is that you need relationship. You need to experience that difference in the context of relationship. And the third thing he suggests is that it's transformative. 
This reconciliation, it's different. We hear, when I told you that I feel like God's playing chess and I'm playing checkers, it's a different game. It's, it's different. The Lord comes to us and says, I want to give you a different perspective. I want you to see this completely different. And I want to be relational. I want to come. What kind of God forgives million dollars of debt? Says, okay, you're free. And I want this to transform you. All three are necessary. So reconciliation, I want to suggest that it's transformative. This old life to new life, this reconciliation that the Lord has is meant to transform us, change us. It's meant to be relational, not change for the sake of change, but change for the sake of relationship with the Lord and coming into a place of caring and loving and knowing the things that the Lord loves. The second thing I want to recommend and, and explore is that re reconciliation is, most, is meant to be very big. It's meant to be holistic. So there's another spot in the, in the New Testament where Paul writes about reconcili uh, reconciliation in Colossians 1. And I, I want to show you this. I want to set the context for this a little bit more. It says in verse 15, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through and for him. He is before all things, and in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And Paul here is writing about this, this cosmic Jesus, this Jesus who's Lord over heaven and Lord over earth. And he's talking about reconciliation. And it says in verse 19, God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Man, this reconciliation that Jesus wants to do, it's big. It's big. He's reconciling things on heaven, things on earth, and he wants to bring, make peace through his blood. In my life, at times, I've, I reduce the work of what reconciliation means to an individual process in a person. And then somehow by changing that one person, then relationships change and then somehow society has changed. And I think, I think Jesus is saying, I want to do all of it. I want to do the relationships. I want to do the society. I want to bring holistic change, reconciling all things to himself, making peace, bringing peace. When we talk about being ministers of reconciliation, being ambassadors of reconciliation, do we have a view of making peace across relationships and society? 
So what do these, Jesus uses those terms, that term is ambassadors. We're ambassadors of reconciliation. And I've been thinking about that as a, as a metaphor for us, as we think about um, our role in society and our role in relationships. So here are some thoughts I had about ambassadors and the work that we do. We work with people that we're sent to, right? Congratulations, you're the ambassador to X. You get to work with the people that you're sent to. Sorry, is this, is this uh, I'm losing it. Can you, can you hear me okay? Okay, all right. So you work with the people you're sent to. And I was thinking about the words of Jesus and what does Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount describe his followers as? He describes them as salt and light. I love that description. I love those two descriptors because they're, when you think about salt, you think about preserving and flavoring. You think about the work that salt does in society. You think about light. You think about revelation. You think about hope. As ambassadors, we work with people that we're sent to and we're salt and light. We're bringing this message of reconciliation and we're demonstrating the kingdom of heaven. I think Matthew talked about the kingdom of heaven so much over 30 times because I don't think he belonged in any earthly kingdom very well. As a tax collector, the Jews did not like him at all. And from a Roman perspective, they were using him. They didn't need him. He was dispensable. He didn't, he didn't have a kingdom. And he wanted to make sure, I think, in his writing that people knew, I'm talking about the kingdom of heaven, just to be clear, just so we know what we're talking about. We want to make this kingdom of heaven incarnate for the cultures that we're in. What does the kingdom of heaven look like? If you think about the role of an ambassador, man, it's, a, it's very much a serving role, isn't it? You're there to implore. You're there to bring an understanding of the kingdom of heaven. You're there to salt and light it. But man, Jesus said, you, I've come that we may, serve. he's called us to serve. The greatest among us are those that serve. And he said, we're not gonna lord it over people. I think that's why Paul uses that term ambassador. Because ambassadors don't have the ability to lord over the environments to which they're called. They have the ability to influence and affect and communicate the kingdom and, and be salt and be light, but they can't be lords. We can't be lords as ambassadors. So what do ambassadors not do? Shouldn't we be doing? Cursing or condemning the people to whom we're sent. Imposing the culture of another country on that country. We can't conform to the demands necessarily of that local culture or compromise the message of the kingdom for the local culture. But we need to be salt and light in that culture. I think one of the challenges of ambassadors at times is that we can oftentimes confuse We can, can confuse society in the places that we're called as enemies and not as captors. 
What is the worldview that we have as we approach society, as we approach the world, as we approach culture? Do we approach culture that we are in a war with culture? We're in a war with people. And when we look at other peoples, we're, we're looking at enemies. And I think this game of uh, chess that the Lord is playing is like, are we looking at, he wants to reconcile everyone to him through Christ. Are we seeing our society and our culture? Are we seeing the people that were around as poor and oppressed and captors? If we are seeing them correctly, if we're seeing them rightly, then we're going to respond rightly. We're going to bring the right transformation. We're going to bring the right reconciliation. So what does this societal transformation look like? What do I mean by that? I'm just going to give you one little example. And there's lots and there's lots about how the Lord wants to bring reconciliation into our culture, into our society. I was reading a paper uh, by Wendy McMahon on a, the Food for Hungry website. And she was quoting this same scripture out of 2 Corinthians 5 that we were just reading about being ambassadors, ministers of reconciliation, this me message of reconciliation. She says, when we look at major issues, keeping people in poverty, such as gender discrimination, and she was talking specifically about the challenges in cultures with gender discrimination. She says, we can remember that we are Christ's ambassadors. He can give us the strength to proclaim that people should respect and love each other, including that women deserve the same rights as men. Talking about one of the challenges in society that as ambassadors of Christ, we need to understand is that poverty exists where there is massive discrimination between men and women in culture. And in order to bring reconciliation in that place, in order to be ambassadors, we have to address that. How do we talk about that? And I'm challenged by this in thinking about in lots of areas of society. What does it look like for reconciliation to come? I think there can be obstacles to reconciliation. So I want to just comment on these briefly. If you keep reading, we finish 2 Corinthians 5. Uh, if you go the first three verses into 2 Corinthians 6, which is a continuation of Paul's letter, he says this. So in the same context of what he's just said, he says this. Now, since we are God's co-workers, we beg you not to take God's marvelous grace for granted, allowing it to have no effect on your lives. For he says, I listened to you at the time of my favor, and, and the day when you needed salvation, I came to your aid. So can't you see, now is the time to respond to his favor. Now is the day of salvation. I love that. He's imploring people, now is the time, now is the day of salvation. Now is the day of reconciliation. And then he says this in verse 3, we, we will not place obstacles in anyone's way that hinder them from coming to salvation so that our ministry will not be discredited. Man, I love this verse and I'm challenged so much by this verse. He's saying this, he's saying, we're ambassadors of reconciliation. The message is now, receive it now. Now is the day of salvation. And then he says, 
and as ambassadors and as ministers of this message of reconciliation, we will not place obstacles in anyone's way that hinder them from coming to salvation. And I was challenged by this to say, is, is our message of reconciliation congruent? Is it consistent with our lives? Or in our lives, are we putting obstacles on people and culture and relationships and society? Are we putting obstacles out there? And, and we're saying this, we're saying, come to Jesus, come to Jesus, come to Jesus. And people are like, what are you talking about? We put obstacles there. Jesus said that about the Pharisees in Matthew. He said, he said you, you won't open the door for people. You shut the door in their faces to the kingdom of heaven. Pharisees put obstacles in the way of people coming to Jesus. Paul experienced that in going to the Gentiles. The Jews tried to put obstacles in the way of the gospel going to the Gentiles. So I ask us as ambassadors of reconciliation, as having a worldview of reconciliation, as having a calling of reconciliation, do we in our own lives put obstacles in the way of people receiving the reconciliation that Jesus has for them? What obstacles have we put in place I was thinking of an analogy of uh, what happened with the Civil War. And uh, it's not a, a deep analogy. I'm just going to do it quickly. But the idea is that, uh, you know, there was an amendment passed for citizenship. For citizenship. There's an, an amendment passed for freedom for slaves at the time of the Civil War. And then what happened after that? So you had this event of freedom this moment of freedom, this declaration of freedom, this amendment of freedom. And then we had a bunch of laws that started getting passed in all these states that then started creating obstacle after obstacle after obstacle. Well, you can't vote. You can't participate economically. You can't do this. You can't do that. And so all of a sudden you had this going on. You're free. You're free. You're free. And all of a sudden, all these obstacles start getting put in place. And the message becomes inconsistent and incongruent. We say that we have reconciliation in Jesus, but there's obstacles there. What are we as ambassadors of Jesus? What is the worldview that we engage the world with? We're called to be ministers of reconciliation. Even when we're considered enemies, you remember Jesus's words in Matthew 5. He says, you're familiar with the old law. Love your friend and its unwritten companion. Hate your enemy. I'm challenging that. He says, I'm telling you, love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When some, someone gives you a hard time, respond with the supple moves of prayer. I'm reading from the message, so it sounds weirder, right? For then you are working out of your true selves, your God-created selves. This is what God does. He gives his best, the sun to warm and the rain to nourish to everyone, regardless, the good and the bad, the nice and the nasty. If all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anybody can do that. 
If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you expect a medal? Any run-of-the-mill sinner does that. <laughs> Love how Jesus puts it, right? Or Eugene Peterson translates it. But even when we're put in a place of, of being persecuted and being considered the enemy, Jesus is still like, no, my message is reconciliation. I'm playing chess. I'm not playing checkers. The old law, tit for tat, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. That's not what I do. And I, I want to challenge us in these times of saying, Lord, you're doing things on so many levels. He's wanting to bring reconciliation in each one of our lives right now, right here, right now. And he's wanting to bring reconciliation in relationships. And he's wanting to remove obstacles. He wants us to be ambassadors of reconciliation. And man, I feel like it's as different as checkers and chess in how we think. It's, it's radical in how he wants to bring this reconciliation. So there's a, a quote, and I've skipped over it, Grace. I don't know where it is in the PowerPoint slides. Could you put it up? Um, nope. Sorry, back. Yes. So this is a long quote, but I, I just want to capture something if we can here. Mike Langford writes this. He says, reconciliation is widely, wildly holistic and redemptive transformation. At the personal level, reconciliation with God without transformation is conversion without repentance and faith without holiness. At the communal level, reconciliation with others without transformation is an accompaniment without embrace, inclusion without belonging. And at the societal level, reconciliation in the world without transformation is presence without partnership, observation without engagement. You can just leave that up for a second. There's a lot there. It's a thick, it's a thick thing. But I think he's talking about this engagement in reconciliation in a very transformative, holistic way of like, for us as individuals, do I walk in repentance? That's how we walk in transformation. We don't, that's, that's how we're transformed as we repent. At the community level, how do we transform? It's more than just having one another in a room. It's people being missed. It's people belonging. And at a societal level, how is it that we engage and not just observe? So this picture of reconciliation, you can go to this last slide, uh, the last slide, Grace. I just want to leave us with this and pray for us. I loved the different aspects of reconciliation. Brian, this is a quote from Brian Zahn that I just thought looked great. Or it really impacted me. It talks about salvation and reconciliation. It says this, salvation is lived out by living well by doing justice, loving mercy, and walking humbly with God, by forgiving, healing, and liberating people, by creating, restoring, and improving things, by worshiping, working, and enjoying life together, by laughing, loving, laughing, and living as redeemed people. This is how we live out our salvation. Life made livable is what salvation is about. It begins with being reconciled with God 
and moves to being reconciled with others. And it must move in this direction, he says, or the whole thing is suspect. Remember, love God and love one another. Those are the the greatest commands. The reconciling of all things through the blood of the cross is the cosmic accomplishment of Christ. Why don't we stand and I'll, I'll pray for me and I'll pray for us. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you have reconciled us and you offer reconciliation and you offer forgiveness of sins. You don't count our sins against us. But Lord, we know our sins. We know our own hearts. We know our own actions. I know my own selfishness and pride. I know my own anger. I know my own sin. And Lord, I, I come today and I repent. And Lord, in, in areas where I am not reconciled to you, I want to be reconciled. Or will you bring in each one of us, Lord, you're, you're coming with open arms. This is, this is the message of reconciliation. You're imploring us. You want us to be reconciled to you. You, have, you want to make all things new in us. I thank you for everyone in our church community and this place that we live, the society that we live in, Lord. You want to make old things new. You want to make new creations in us. And so, Lord, we come and we repent and we confess of our sin. And we thank you that in Christ, we have righteousness. In Christ, we have reconciliation. In Christ, we have and we are new creations. Lord, and will you do this in us? Will you do this deeply in us? Will you work this ministry of reconciliation in us so much? Lord, that as we turn and and we look at others, we engage with kindness and mercy. We engage in our worldview as we walk and as we live and as we move around would be, Lord, what are you doing? How are you reconciling this person, this relationship, this situation? How is it that you want to transform society? How is it that you want to bring your life and you want to bring reconciliation into all the different places that you call us? Lord, forgive us for how we at times will create obstacles for people to understand how much you love them, to understand and experience your reconciliation and your new life. Lord, we pray in every way that, our, that obstacles would come down. Obstacles that we put up, obstacles that we can put up as churches and as religious people. Lord, I pray that we would bring down obstacles. Lord, we would see your kingdom, your kingdom of heaven come and your reconciliation come in our land and in our place of living and ministering. Lord, we thank you for the life that you bring the new life that you bring. I pray for each person here today that we would experience new life, that we would experience reconciliation in new ways with you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.